welcome to the next generation of gaming yeah. with the One Up Gaming Crew. With news from the weekend gaming and just some random chatter. Okay. With your hosts, David and Nathan, plus some special guests. It's time. For more info, please visit www.1upgaming.co.uk Xbox One Challenge, Challenge me. I'm King, you already, already know. know Ruling games on PC, yeah. PS, PSP, PlayStation, PlayStation 4. 4 Play all genres, highest seats If there is a leader's board You can find a mod that no. would allow you no. all to see, to my, see scores. my scores David and Nathan, Nathan Reviewing the games for me, games for me. That's why I'm so dangerous See their uh, tips uh, so good, uh, you, won't you won't believe Keep playing strong, strong. One-up gaming coming on they It's coming the show on. you all have waited for yeah. the Waste not very long, not go To one up game and 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 go Listen up, yo Well, hello and welcome to another episode of OUG Talks. This week we have a really good, nice chat with Don Wilkins. And we talk about his new game, which is Stellar Tactics, which will be coming out hopefully at the end of the year. We go through some of the older things that he's done in the industry, like making games for like the Genesis sort of era, or to us, the Mega Drive sort of era. And... It's just a really, really good, fascinating chat that we have. I booked in like a 20-minute sort of chat with him, and we basically talked for over an hour. So I'll cut this really short and just say, here's the interview. So take it away. And coming up next on One Up Gaming, this week's interview... And we're back with the One Up Gaming podcast, and this week we've got a nice little chat with, as always, I'll just sort of say, do you want to introduce yourself and just say what you're kind of doing at the minute? Yeah, sure. My name is Don Wilkins, and I'm the uh, developer on Stellar Tactics, uh, which is currently on Greenlight, and uh, we're working to get our our game on Steam, and it's a sci-fi RPG. So, I mean... To me, Steam Greenlight, it's still fairly new. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been out for a couple of years now. It seems like it's uh, more of an experiment on, on the part of Steam, and, and they get a lot of games that way. Um, it's, I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I just wondered, what was it like before they actually did the Steam Greenlight? Do you, do you have any ideas well, of that? Yeah. Just... yeah, I mean, I you know, I've worked in the game industry for a very, very long time. I used to work for companies like Sierra and, and um, all the way back to Surtech Software um, on games like Wizardry and, and things of that nature. Um, really, before Steam came along, you had to pitch your games to publishers. And um, for the most part, um, pitching a game to a publisher meant that you were looking for advances on royalties on the game. Uh, They would fund you. They'd give you an advance on royalties, and then, you know, they would do all the marketing and distribution of the game uh, into the retail channel. Um, It was just a, a very different scene. When I started out doing this stuff, it was really kind of a cottage industry with a couple of small publishers. One of them was Surtech Software. They, they, um, you know, they they distributed a lot of role-playing games and things of that nature. Then there were, you know, companies like Activision and, and Bethesda. Um, but it was a relatively small group back then. But that all changed quickly because, uh, and, and let me know if I'm rambling here. You know, just feel free to cut me off. But It's fine, don't worry. Yeah, but... Um, 
things changed a lot, and uh, the corporate world decided that there was money to be made, and, and EA showed that, and then a lot of people kind of got in, like Vivendi Universal, um, you know, all the big players, and um, that whole publishing thing continued to be the same for developers. Like, developers would go out, and they'd pitch their games, and hopefully sign in on with a publisher and sign not necessarily the creative rights away, but the distribution rights of the game. Um, and then Steam came along, uh, which is a, a fantastic thing for indie developers, and it gave them an opportunity to do a couple things. One, um, retain control of the product by not necessarily signing um, a lot of the creative rights away and when I say that, it just means that a publisher could basically say, I don't like the way this is, and you guys need to change it if you want the game published. Um, with Steam, you basically have a lot more control over the creative content. So so what it is, it's kind of like a creative renaissance where small developers can go out, put together a game that they think is really cool and different uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's mass marketable. In other words, you know, a big publisher wants a game that everybody's going to buy. They don't want a game that only a few people are going to buy because it's cool. And um, so the way it works with Steam is uh, you, you get your game into a playable state. You sign up on Steam and you pay $100 and they donate that money. And then you can list your game and let people vote on whether or not you know, they want to see it be on Steam. And they do that by, you know, clicking the yes vote or a no vote as to whether or not they'd buy it if it was on Steam. And um, depending it's depending on your popularity, you, you actually end up being published on their platform, which is a big deal because at any one time they can have 3 million users playing games on the Steam platform. So it's a really big deal. So that's where I'm at right now. And... Uh, it's it's just brilliant. I, I absolutely love the whole idea of being able to publish something that's a little bit different and not have to approach a publisher to get you know signed up to do that. Cause I mean, <clears throat> I know some developers from like the early '90s, like the Mega Drive or Genesis sort of era, mm-hmm. and they were saying that yes, indie development's great. But the problem is, back in the early 90s, because the publishers had to have faith in the product because they had to, say, print up 10,000 cartridges, which wasn't free. That's right. They they had to know the product was of a decent standard before they'd even say, yes, we'll carry on with that. Whereas now it's just a bit of a free-for-all. It is, and I think what's going to end up happening is there is going to be a falling out um, eventually. Um, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, when you had to when you had to distribute cartridges, the game needed to be 100% stable, absolutely 100% stable with no errors whatsoever. Otherwise, you know, you'd be in really bad shape as a publisher with a bunch of cartridges that had a game with with a really nasty bug on it. Same thing goes with Sony. Sony has a really stringent set of uh, technical requirements. And when you distribute a game on their platform, they do a lot of heavy testing to make sure that that disc is going out and it's stable and of you know reasonable quality. You can see the same thing on the iPhone. Um, you know, uh, Apple does exactly the same thing. They test your game. They make sure it fully fu- it's fully functional and that they're not distributing something that breaks. Steam's a little bit more of an open platform for a lot of people to distribute even just really bizarre ideas in some cases. I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen up there being sold, I just, or, you know, trying to be greenlit, I just can't even imagine doing well. But, you know, with the open system, they they don't really, um, I think I, I think what they're doing, like I said, is, is more of an experiment. They're They're monitoring it but they're not, uh, they're letting people decide what's good and what's not good. And I don't know how much longer that's going to, that's going to go on. Um, 
I mean, I'm grateful to them for doing that, but I do agree that, you know, it, it can get a little bit flooded with games that may not be all that well put together. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, especially because I think it was the beginning of last year, Steam, they must have changed some sort of, of their regulations or something, because... All of a sudden, within a couple of months, there was like 200 like iPhone ports put straight onto it. So I mean, they might have changed something to say that they're allowing like mobile phone sort of ports to be put onto the sort of system now. It just all of a sudden there was like hundreds of them straight away. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people are also porting um, their PS1 games and PS2, like Disgaea, uh, just released for PC. Um, that's a really old game. That game's like 15 years old, I think, somewhere 10, 15 years old. It's a great strategy game, and a lot of people are playing it and buying it right now. But um, what I'm finding in the green light area, when I read through some of the comments for some of the um, you know, uh, mobile game ports, a lot of people are, are commenting on those kinds of games and, you know, uh, I've even seen people go as far as saying you you should really take this game off Steam Greenlight. <laughs> so I don't know I don't know what the deal was with that, but um, yeah, I agree. I see a lot of ports coming over from um, phones, yeah, from mobile. So is this the first time you've put a game yourself into Steam Greenlight? It is. Yeah, this is the first this is the first game that I've developed exclusively for myself. I've produced a lot of games, Wizardry, Arcanum, um, you know, uh, The Hobbit, a bunch of other stuff. You know, you guys can... Is that The Hobbit game that was on PS2? Yes. Yeah. That was actually a lot better than it had any right to be. <laughs> well, I did, so the deal is, the game industry is kind of like a... I used to compare it to um, traveling, traveling around the country on a bus. You, you get on the bus, and then you get off at a station, being a game development company. You hang out for a couple of years and finish a few things, and then you get back on the bus and go somewhere else. Um, so in, in the case of The Hobbit, I started it but did not finish it. Um, so I can't really take responsibility for its end state, but we did, you know, I did quite a bit of work with uh, the folks who developed it, and, um, you know, some people really enjoyed it. So, I think it, I don't know about in America, but in the UK, I think it got really good reviews. Oh, good. But it didn't really sell very well. You know, it, it was uh, kind of um, actually platformy, and I think a lot of people, so, so as gamers, you know, uh, as, as a large group um, of gamers, people want to buy games that are game, game IP game intellectual property, things that have done really well in the past. You know, you think of Halo as a franchise, you think of um, GTA as a franchise, you think of all these big franchises that have that have churned out, um, you know, top games over a, over a really long period of time. Those do really well because people have, you know, an expectation. Metal Gear Solid's another one, that, that the game is just going to be really good when it comes out. It's going to play well, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be worth the dollars they're going to spend. But then there's this other side, which is pulling intellectual property from books and movies. And in my opinion, in a lot of cases, I think people, they tend to look at that and think that um, because it was derived from you know intellectual property not related to video games, that the quality level will be substandard. And um, there was a period of time in the publishing industry where we were just licensing everything we could get our hands on. Um, you know, anything that sounded like it could be converted to a game, it was, you know, it was definitely a target to go out and try to get the game, you know, development rights or movie development rights. Um, and unfortunately, uh, in all those cases, whenever we did our return on investment, we always put a, a much smaller development budget into things like that just because uh, we knew that the numbers that would come out of it would be a lot lower than they would for, you know, a 
a game like Half-Life or Half-Life 2. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I really didn't follow The Hobbit uh, after I, I, I moved on from Sierra to go work for a smaller development studio. Um, I didn't follow it all the way through to find out you know, how well it did. Yeah, I, mean, I think the biggest problem that game had was it came out in the middle of all the the hype of the the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, that'll happen. <laughs> and everyone knew about the Lord of the Rings games that EA were making. And then when this one came out, it basically said it was based on the books from the same guy who did the Lord of the Rings. But I guess a lot of people were like, we don't really care about that. It doesn't have the big shiny Lord of the Rings on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's that's one franchise. I mean, I, I worked with Lord of the Rings for a little while while I was at Sierra and, and Saul Zantz, who owns the rights to the Lord of the Rings, um, you know, distributing uh, various rights, you know, digital rights, movie rights, book rights, things of that nature. And that's all they do. They, Saul Zantz, they, they manage intellectual property rights and try to get the biggest amount of money they can for licensing those. But the big the big license at the time was Lord of the Rings, and Sierra had that that moved to Vivendi Universal when Vivendi bought Sierra and, and dismantled it. Um, and uh, you know EA was the big competitor. The idea was we're going to make games based off The Hobbit. And really, my only involvement at the time on that was that um, I think I can say this. How long has it been? It's been over 10 years. At the, at the time, Vivendi came to Sierra one day, and a lot of people got let go. And one of the guys, and I, I don't want to use names here, um, actually two of the guys were on vacation that were managing the Lord of the Rings at the time, and they took a small group of whoever was left over into a room and asked us, who wants to manage Lord of the Rings? And I kind of put my hand up and said, well, I'll keep an eye on it until so-and-so gets back. And I ended up spending about four or five months working on that before we transitioned it over to Vivendi Universal. And then, you know, the history goes from there that Lord of the Rings Online, um, well, it was a real big success for quite a long time. Still is. I mean, people still play that game. But yeah, yeah I think it went, did you go free to play? Then it was really successful. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of the games went that way. That That whole... That whole free-to-play thing for a while was just amazing. People moving all their there was just there were too many MMOs out there to choose from, and it eventually got to be where if your MMO was you you, you remember this if your MMO wasn't free-to-play you weren't doing well. Um, I think there's only a couple of games like uh, obviously World of Warcraft. They, they never went free-to-play, though I think they let you play free now to level 20 or something like that. Yeah, you can download it and play up to level 20, yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, you know, and you get to level 20 in, what, five or six hours, easy, maybe less. Um, the other one is, of course, uh, Final Fantasy. But I think, I think those are the only survivors for the... Um, uh, yeah, the only two that really didn't go free-to-play. There may be more. yeah. I mean, they're the only ones that I can think because I think everything else, like the not Morrowind, but Elder Scrolls, they went the play, yeah. the uh, they went free to play quite quick as well. Yeah, they um, you know they have an amazing game there, but but it's just so hard to compete when you have you know hundreds of of MMOs and you know a subset of those being actually really really fantastic games that are just completely free. I mean, what do you do? It's and, and making a game like that is just insanely difficult. Um, you know, these, these AAA MMOs, is, you've got to have a really large group of people. It costs an your burn rate just for developing a game like that is, is really high. And, you know, you get to a point where you've got to have people paying you. <laughs> you gotta, there's, there's no way to keep the lights on if there isn't a way to monetize um, the development of the game. Um, you know, all these artists, artists are, good artists are hard to come by, and the good ones are expensive. Engineers that, that do gaming, they're very expensive, and they're very difficult to come by. And they, they all have, you know, families, and it's funny because um, 
and I am rambling here a little bit, I, I hear people who want the games given away for free. And I've never understood how that how that can work unless you're a hobbyist developer. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's yeah, it's getting rather difficult. I think with the explosion of like the iPhone and mobile sort of stuff. Because I know when I got my 3DS, I was like, why should I pay thirty or forty pound for one of these games when it's nearly the same sort of I mean look at the Pokemon Shuffle. They released that as a free to play game on the iPhone. But that when it first came out it was like twenty quid on the three D S. Sure. You know, so it's Well they're all it's just but, weird. Yeah it is, but I mean I think what they're doing is they're trying out they're they're constant the, this whole industry is really evolving on the fly. I mean in a lot of ways from a from a from the standpoint of monetizing the work that you do so that you can, you know, own a house and, um, you know, pay for your kids' braces if they need things like that, you know, and just keeping food on the table. So a lot of people have gone to this whole, um, you know, you get the game for free. If you want some goodies, you've got to buy them in the store. And then I hear people complaining about that too, but I guess people will always complain. Um, you know, for me, for Stellar Tactics, I'm not I'm not looking to um, knock one out of the park with the game. It's a little bit different. I'm just trying to make the best game I possibly can, and hope hopefully people will like it enough to, you know, uh, pay a few bucks for it. And and um, not that I'm telling you what the price is going to be right now, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I'm hoping people are going to enjoy the game. It's it's going to be a deep game. It's going to be um, something that's a little different from anything that's out there. I mean, most of the role-playing games are fantasy. You know, there's very few uh, sci-fi RPGs out, and I'm just a really big fan of sci-fi. So we'll see how it takes on. I mean, I might be a little bit out, but to me, from looking at all the little videos for Stellar Tactics, I would assume to be about between the like $25, $30 sort of price range? Well, I can't say now because I think what's going to happen is, you know, once we get greenlit, assuming I get greenlit, I think what happens at that point is um, Steam comes along and, and gives you a hand on pricing, pricing the game. I, th so, I think I was talking with someone before and they basically say, we believe it'll sell best at this price, but you have final say. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to them because they know what they're doing. Um, I mean, sure, if I could if I could make a living and sell it for a few bucks, I'd do that. But I I don't know that I can. I, I think that cheapens a game sometimes to sell it for a few bucks. Um, especially, you know, I've I've worked on this thing for six years now. It's been an incredible amount of work in my spare time, and now I'm working on it full time. I just um, you know, I, I, countless and ca countless hours of, of effort into the um, into the strategy ground-based portion of the game, and then you know, space exploration itself in, in the game. I mean, literally, there are millions of planets and hundreds of you know, probably I'd say on average, depending on the random seed for generating the universe, there's around two hundred thousand uh, solar systems that you can explore. Um, and, you know, it, the other thing about this, too, is that even though it's procedural, it's not procedural uh, in the sense of uh, No Man's Sky. I don't know if you've heard of that game. Yeah, I think everyone's heard about that one at, at this sort of point. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. And, in fact, I think it just uh, I think that they just started taking pre-orders in the last few days on Steam. Um, that game is from the ground up. Um, it's, it's an amazing looking game and it, it must have been just an incredible effort by a relatively good sized group of people it is procedural from the ground up I think pretty much every pixel is procedurally generated um, Stellar Tactics is not like that what, what I do is I build a giant sandbox and then I populate that with content and some of that content is random content mission content, things of that nature dynamically generated uh, missions for you to go on, like, you know, 
um, go ahead and clear out this, this space station or this lab, you know, and in the process you loot, you uh, do all the standard, you know, role-playing game sort of things uh, strategically, though, you know, kind of like a squad-based tactical combat and exploration. Um, then, then there are what I would call handcrafted um, missions and encounters um, that are placed in the procedural environment uh, in, in a less random fashion. And those handcrafted experiences are those are designed to um, you know tell the story narrative and draw the player through the game along a certain path. Um, but at any time, you can break off that path and, and go do all kinds of different things. I mean, you can take any mission, random mission you want. Some of the events um, are triggered by your activities with the factions in, in the game environment. Some events are triggered by factions and how they deal with each other. Like, for example, if uh, one faction decides to blow up a um, you know, a shuttle or, a, or another ship from another faction, it could, you know, sort of spark off a skirmish that you're going to have to, you have a choice to get involved with. Um, so it's a little bit different. It's much more of an RPG than it is uh, a um, just just kind of wide open sandbox. It's actually both, really. It's a it's an RPG sandbox. I guess, I guess if I, I could describe it best, I would say it's kind of, um, it's kind of a sci-fi Fallout, you know, Fallout One or Fallout Two, uh, where with a party you have a party of characters, um, set in a set in a sandbox in outer space. There you go. In a nutshell. I mean, when I've looked at the pictures and read into the game. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a game from, oh God, it must be the mid to late 90s. It's that long ago, I can't remember if it was an original Star Trek or on the Star Trek Next Generation IP. But basically it was, it was before full 3D. And you had, you were sat on the bridge of the Enterprise and you could go to planets and explore and have space combat and you could also go to the planets beam down and it was like a over isometric sort of view of like little characters walking around the planet yeah i think i remember the game you're talking there were a couple like that there was one called sentinel worlds that was not you know based on any ip and then there was an old star trek game i could never get it to work though on the system that i had at the time um but I remember really wanting to play it because, you know, I, I could look at the box and see that the screenshots had, wow, space exploration and, you know, sort of uh, squad-based uh, ground exploration. How cool is that, you know? Um, so I've always wanted to build a game like this. And, and in fact, many, many years ago, I, I pitched the, the idea around to a couple of publishers, but it wasn't... For them, it wasn't mainstream enough. It didn't. It didn't have that focused sort of. I'm a shooter, or I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a turn-based strategy or a real-time strategy. They they basically had a bunch of categories back then that if you weren't really in that category, you were sort of outside the sweet spot for making good, decent money. So. Yeah, I mean, when I decided to start making this like six years ago, it was really more of a challenge than anything. I just thought, okay, well, let's go ahead and make the game ourselves now that there's some tools out there that we can do things like this with. And, you know, I just started tinkering away, and um, within a couple of years I had something substantial, and I just kept going, and, and here we are, you know, at this point, um, with a lot of work to do still. But pretty close to having this thing in a state where people can start playing it, which is very exciting and scary. So you say you've been on it now for six years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of that work was part-time, you know, nights and weekends, things of that nature. So 
I think if I condensed everything down to the amount of time, if I was doing it as a full-time job, I'd say maybe two years, two and a half years worth of work. And is it like you solely, or do you have like a couple of other people helping you every now and again? I have uh, some contract artists that pitch in occasionally. Yeah, but mostly all of this has been done by myself. So all the code, all the um, <clears throat> all the level design, you know, um, all the things that run in the background, uh, the AI, the combat system, um, dialogue system, all that stuff. That's that's all written by me. So do you have a? like a standard game engine or did you build one from scratch? This is a combination of uh, a couple of tools that I got my hands on. So, yeah, I don't want to extrapolate more on that. <laughs> it's not Unity. Right. It's not Unity. It's not, you know... Um, Unreal. It's not Unreal. Yeah, they're the only two I really know. <laughs> yeah. So, when you say that you got a couple of like artists every now and again... Um, I don't know how much they charge, but I know for a fact we were looking at creating a cartoon series, and we were doing going to do six ten-minute episodes, and I got quoted sixty thousand dollars just to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite expensive. It's you know, I mean, definitely getting good art is is difficult to do. Um, there are other resources that that you can pull from too out out in the marketplace. You know, folks that that put together three D models and things of that nature. But yes, it does add up of quite a bit over time. So, um, illustration is very expensive right now. Good illustration. Three um, D modeling uh, it can, in some cases, depending on where you get your models from, be a lot less expensive. So yeah, it adds up, and you know I've I put quite a bit of my own money into this game um, over a period of time. So, so the game itself, mm -hmm. if people don't know, it's. I mean, you can correct me if I'm totally wrong, but it's like an open world flight combat trade sort of game where you can also land on planets and space stations. Then it turns to like an isometric sort of 3D view. Exactly, and you know the exploration feels a lot like walking around in uh, Pillars of Eternity. Uh, you have um, various characters that you pick up along the way, so it's it's a standard traditional uh, role-playing game uh, in a lot of ways, like Baldur's Gate. Um, so it is party-based. Uh, and there are a number of characters that are part of the storyline that you can engage in your group, up to a total of four characters, and uh, each of those grow. Uh, and I like to say it's a classless um, progression system in the sense that your characters advance through the use of various skills. So if you pick up a rifle uh, and you use the rifle a lot, you're going to get better at using it, and at certain tiers... Uh, you you unlock perks that you can choose um, as you progress, and each one of those characters progresses uh, on their own track individually. And you can see in some of the screenshots, I kind of exposed um, all all of the uh, well, almost all. There's there's actually one other um, skill set that you get later in the game that unlocks, which is uh, psionics and. That unlocks after um, a story-based event occurs where you actually start having the ability to kind of cast spells in a way. Um, there are some other engine uh, combat things like um, what I call Unity right now. I'm not sure if that's going to be the final name. But it's basically turn-based combat with uh, team power-ups where eventually you charge up enough damage, you, you acquire enough damage through combat where you get to choose uh, a special team-based attack that is pretty devastating for some of the more com you know complex uh, combat scenarios. Um, the other thing about combat is that while it's turn-based, 
Yox, it, it, it also includes a queuing system, and I'll be showing that in a gameplay video uh, sometime in the next month or so. I want to do sort of a, a 10 minutes uh, with Stellar Tactics combat video. Um, the combat system lets you queue up attacks, so you can basically um, queue up a number of attacks and then unleash those so that it's not tedious. Combat kind of moves along at a pretty good clip. Um, yeah, there we go. That's kind of a little blurb on how all that works. So when you started the project six years ago, you said it was basically like a labor of love, a game that you've always wanted to design. Are you happy of the last couple of years of the rise of the space sim sort of genre? You know, I am. I'm actually really thrilled. There, there have been a couple of rough starts, you know, like X Rebirth. You know, they had a really, really hard launch. It was unfortunate. The game is, is just beautiful to play now. It's really smooth. It plays well. It's a fantastic game. And I've always been a big fan of the X series. Um, you know, uh, a couple of the other games that have come out have, have been a lot of fun. I'm trying to think of the one that came out recently that was really cool. It was developed by uh, two people. Um, the One of my games of last year was Rebel Galaxy. Rebel Galaxy. Great game. I mean, you know, that just really did a lot for the genre. It made it feel really action-y. I love the space combat. I like the exploration. And, you know, it's a... It's a I, I think that game in particular is a really good example of what a small team can do um, putting things together. So, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, because I, I think they, as you said, that was two people and then they just had like music people in and other bits and bobs just to, mm -hmm. yep. to add it all up. Yeah, the music, the music was great. I mean, it just ties in so well with the game and it gives this, the gives that, gives the game and the whole experience, this really uh, sort of unique flavor that that is just well done. I mean, you know, I'm so I'm so glad for those guys that you know um, they were able to do do what they were doing and and have it be as successful as it was. So, yeah, kudos to them. And I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the game or not, but I got it sent to review last year, and I'd never heard of the series, but I was very surprised and delighted how good it was. Starpoint Gemini 2. Oh, yes. I've, I've actually... I have a copy of that. Um, they they started develop. They worked on that for quite a while. And um, I, I, I picked up a copy in early access and started playing it. And um, I think just recently, sometime in the last six months, they, they've wrapped that up. And, you know, they're still patching it. But um, adding content... But yeah, that's that's a great game. Real smooth. So, mm -hmm. your game, is it basically like a mix of those sort of games plus like um, more like the action bits from like one of the modernist sort of XCOM sort of games? Yeah, actually that's a... So let's draw a par parallel there. I think uh, Rebel... It's kind of a cross of Rebel Galaxy... Um, with a massive procedural universe, um, XCOM, and then throw in sort of that whole Fallout feel, you know, the original Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 feel, um, and you've got kind of an idea of what I'm trying to do with Stellar Tactics. Um, the combat, the space combat, is something that I'm working on right now. Um, you know, I'm trying to tune and, and tweak um, I'm not sure at this point if it's going to feel as action-y as Rebel Galaxy because I wanted a little bit more strategy involved and, um, you know, uh, targeting various elements on, on the uh, ships that you're fighting. But we'll see as that progresses. Certainly, the whole space combat thing is really, really important, and, and I don't want to release it or even show it until I'm really happy with it. So I'm kind of working feverishly on that right now to try to get it to a point where I'm actually happy with the way it feels. Ground combat is, you know, I'd say 85% of the way there. There are a couple of systems I'm still plugging in and, and tweaking, but it feels really good. The whole exploration, the dialogue system, all of those things, um, the loot system, 
all of that stuff is in and and working really nicely right now. And I'm, I, I was just playing it yesterday. It was the day before yesterday. And I just got wiped out by this uh, team of mutants, and they just they wrecked me. And I, I really should have saved a stun grenade, but sh- I shouldn't have saved it. That is, I had like one stun grenade left, and I think I would have survived if I would have thrown it. But anyway, kind of wrong. To me, the the one thing I will say about the space combat with Rebel Galaxy, because it was quite fast and nimble, it kept it interesting. Whereas if you go the other way, I think it was a Star Trek game that Bethesda published on the 360 and PS3, which was like a yeah. a full... And they said that they wanted to have an accurate feel of a thousand foot ship, you know, like slowly turning in space, which technically, yes, that's how it would be. But when you have two massive ships just slowly turning towards each other... It's boring. No, I agree. Yeah, it just wasn't fun. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's something I'm really concerned about. I think, I think that Rebel Galaxy really got that feel right. It really feels fun and action-y to fight. You know, I think about um, uh, it's escaping me right now. What's the major sci-fi uh, space space MMO? Eve, Eve Online. Yes. And the combat in there is not quite as action-y, but, um, you know, as you're traveling around, you have there, there's some strategy involved in what you're doing. I'd say somewhere in between what they're doing with that and what they did in um, Rebel Galaxy with a little bit of strategy as far as, you know, trying to take out certain elements of the ship first before you do other things. Um, is kind of where I want to be at. I, I really don't want to drop the ball and make it feel sluggish and um, tedious to fight in space. I've always had kind of, yeah, ground ground combat can be like XCOM, but space combat needs a, needs a, a little bit more of an action feel to it. So that's, that's kind of what I'm tweaking right now. Um, you know, one of the things you have to keep in mind is the strategy port of part of uh, the space battles is that you want to be able to disable ships but not make it feel like the exact same thing every time you do it. It shouldn't be really, really easy to disable a ship and board it. it should you, you, you need to be able to take out the shield generator. You need to wipe out the, you know, the engines and make sure that they're not traveling. There should be a sequence for breaching the ship. Things of that nature. That reminds me, have you played FTL? I have, yeah. <laughs> I loved the system in that. Yeah, it's, it is cool. It is a cool, cool game. And you know, a lot. They, just in the development of that game, I mean, the the the, the team that put it together, um, you know, was really well well rewarded for their efforts. I mean, I think it was really really great to see that come out when it did, and. Um, you look at, you know, I, I look at Steam Spy occasionally to see how games are doing, and I don't know how accurate it is. Some people argue that it's not. Developers argue that, yeah, it's pretty close. But, you know, games like that do really, really well. So, um... And, I mean, I love the, the tactic that you could do once you got your internal sensors and stuff all put, you know, you leveled up where you could have all your characters in the main, like, ship, like the control room, whatever you want to call it, and if anyone boarded you, you could actually just press one button and all the doors would open, including the airlocks, and, and it would just blast everyone that's, out. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yep. <laughs> Get rid of your enemies by uh, purging your, um, I forget what you call it, your atmosphere. Yeah. yeah, smart. Yeah, I'm not sure how far so, I'm going to go with that, but we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I don't want to copy anybody's ideas outright, but uh, you know, it's um, I think I think putting some cool things in there like that would be nice. Yeah, it's it's always good to have a sort of, uh, you know, just say not nick wholesale, but just sprinkle really good ideas into what you've already got. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, and um, 
it's amazing uh, still, you know, just the, like I said, this this whole renaissance where so many people are coming coming out with games, and then out of this this massive um, overload of, of video games, a few of them are just having these really fantastic ideas that you're just not going to see that kind of um, uh, creative. Um, fertile imagination if if people are continue to just work with publishers directly. Uh, not saying that publishers are evil, it's just that you know they tend to head in a direction that they know they can get their money back for, right? If you're a business, you're going to go ahead and make games that you know sell, and there isn't all that much innovation there. Yeah, and unfortunately a lot of the smaller sort of publishers they've all basically gone out of business now you know so like all the like THQs and all them sort of things they've all they've all gone so we're basically left with the big massive AAA studios who like let's just say a year one year's going to be like a battlefield and the next year's going to be a Star Wars battlefront whereas so basically, all these interesting ideas, unfortunately, it is falling down to the indie developers to do it. And then I guess in two or three years' time, if these uh, sell well, then we might see a AAA studio attempt something. Yeah, and you know, there, there are you know the the folks that are making these AAA games. They're. Um, and when I say that, I mean AAA, you know, publisher uh, games. The folks that are working on those games are playing these indie games. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're they're picking them up. They're playing them. You know, the designers play all kinds of things, and they're picking up ideas from these. And eventually, you're right. Yeah, they'll make their way into some of these these larger scale games if the ideas are mainstream in a lot of cases. And you know, I don't I don't want to make the argument that there is no innovation in any of these AAA games cuz there there is. It's just that you're going to see a much more fertile uh area of growth in the indie area because people are trying things that typically wouldn't um wouldn't interest a publisher. That's all. So going back to Stellar Tactics. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a rough idea of a release date, or is it still a ways off yet? I, I don't. Um, what I'm working towards is, is getting it out this year. That's that's about all I can say. Um, I don't want to make any other promises. The worst thing I could do right now is release it before it's fun. Um, a lot of what I have is already fun, but there are some things that I'm working on that just really need to be tweaked at this time. So, yeah, it's just not ready. Um, and I can't quite give a date. I'd hate to give a date that I'd miss. I mean, I've no idea about the name of the game. The most funded game of all time, the Space One. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, um, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember the name, too. It's <laughs> totally funny. Um, I know what you're talking about. It's got, like, $25 million in, in Kickstarter or, you know, funding like that. Um how can, why can't I remember the name of it? I think all in all, I think on the website, I think they've had donations of up to about $75 million. Oh, really? Wow. That's, I think that was the amazing. last time they said something. Yeah, the last... But, I'm, I'm trying to look it up now as we talk. Uh, I can't... I can't remember the name. <laughs> but it's like, they are basically making, like, individual modules. Like, space combat, ground combat, walking within the ship planetary sort of like going down to the surface and back up they're making all these as separate like games and then they're gonna combine them all into one exactly yeah and that was recent news too so it's star citizen i i i'm i cannot believe i could not dredge that name up really quickly so they're at 109 million dollars in funds raised they have 1,293,000 1,293,000 plus uh, star citizens. I guess those are people who have funded them. Um, but yeah, they, they decided to break things into modules. Um, 
I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm, it's something I'll be picking up and I'll be playing it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Certainly, as one developer with a couple of people helping, I could, I could never make a game like this, like what they're making. It's just so far out of the realm of the capability of one or two people, you know, to put together. Um, I certainly wish them the best. It's, it looks amazing. I mean, it truly looks amazing. It's a, it's a game that I'll be playing for sure. So, but I, I will say that it's not, it doesn't seem to be an RPG, um, from anything I've seen. And, uh, I don't. Yeah, I think it's more of a, like an Eve Online, but a bit more, more action y, yeah. you know, than. Yeah. But the, the, I think the thing that it does have in combat is in co- common with what I'm trying to do, and of course I, I want to be really clear that there's no way I can do anything like what they're doing. I, I just don't have the kind of funding. But um, they are they are merging uh, space and and ground exploration, and and I think you know that's the next step for these games. These games are really they need that. Um, no Man's Sky's got the same thing. You've got the space exploration. You've got the ground exploration. Um, it's really the place, and even like X Rebirth, you know, speaking about them, they, they had, you know, they took kind of a first step in that area where you could actually walk around on stations and you do a couple things on them, do some explore, exploration there. But yeah, I've always, we're at that point now where we're, where, um, people are actually heading in that direction where they, they, this whole concept of having two separate engines, one that's for space and ground, just seemed too complicated. Um, I think now it's fully within reach. Obviously it is because my game does it now. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go over the course of the next couple of years in, in development. I'm hoping this is uh, this whole space thing is, is just you know a, a nice, nice long wave because I love these kinds of games. It's my favorite kind of game, and um, I've been a gamer for a very long time. So, yeah, I mean, as I said before, last year I think it was last. Year, yeah, it must have been. Cause it's only a couple of months into this one. Um, when I played the the Star Star Point Gemini and the Rebel Galaxy, although one of them was on my top ten games of the year, and the other one was close to actually getting on actually I love that type of game I mean I come from the generation of like the old PS1 sort of stuff like the Colony Colony Wars oh yeah that was a great game and all those sort of early space shoot 'em ups yeah Colony Wars was just so cool it had I mean I I hooked that up to my uh, home speakers and we'd sit down and play it it was just you know it had it had a really tight space combat kind of feeling with big booming sound effects. It was awesome. That was a good game. And uh, I really do enjoy the fact that they've taken the spirit of those games and then infused a much more deeper tactics to them to add more depth. And But the problem for me is because working full-time and then coming home, uploading things, doing these interviews, doing like a two-hour podcast every week. And, I mean, we've just set up our own record label and we're dealing with people on that to try to get an an album out in the next month or so. Um, I just don't have the time to actually sit and actually put hours and hours into a game. Same thing here. You know, it's it's my biggest, uh, well, two things. You know, I've, I've got to sort of try to balance my family life with development of the game and then still get some gameplay in. And what I found myself doing is um, picking up games that are a lot less in-depth that I can just hop into. Like, for, ex- for example, and when I say not so in-depth, games like Pillars of Eternity... I've been trying to get into that game and play it all the way through, but I just don't have the time. But what I have time to do is hop into Dark Souls 2 and play that for an hour and take out some aggression. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, ever, have you played Dark Souls? I downloaded it when it was on sale 
on the 360 for about two dollars. Oh wow! And I actually turned it on, walked through a corridor, and thought, "Yep, it works," and turned it off, and I haven't gone back to it. <laughs> I think that was when I already had my Xbox One. Yeah. And they just dumped a load of games really cheap. Yeah. And I bought loads of. I think even bought Witcher Two for two dollars. Oh wow! Nice. But I don't actually have my Xbox 360 set up anymore. Well, Dark Souls for me takes me back to a time where, you know, when you were playing games, they they were really difficult, and I, I call it I call it you know um, it's sort of a death progression game. You get you've got to learn the moves, and as you're going through it, it's really difficult. You die a lot. Um, my hope for Stellar Tactics is it, it can never be a Dark Souls because it's not the same kind of game. But the game, the game does require some thought. So when you're playing the game, you're you're probably going to die a lot until you get the hang of um, the various enemies that you're playing. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to you're you're not going to die as often as you do in Dark Souls. Dark Souls is you know it's all about punishment. Um, you're punished if you screw up something from a timing standpoint. In this game, you're punished if you don't use your action points appropriately. And that being that you find out that it's your turn and you haven't reloaded your weapon with the two action points you didn't use in the last round, um, something like that can you know, cost, cost one of your characters. Um, so, and, and the, other pe- the other thing about this, too, people have asked me, you know, is there permanent death? And I, I, I'm saying, yes, there is permanent death in the game, but it is an option. I don't want people to play this game who don't like permanent death and not have the option to, you know, turn it off. It's actually the other way around. By default, death is not permanent, but there is an option for a Iron Man mode where you can make it permanent for non-story characters. So... Um, I guess what I'm saying is that I really like difficult games, and this game, this game is going to be difficult in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, mean, I think I grew up at a time when my favorite games are like Sega Rally, Ridge Racer, and I also like vertical shooters. So I mean, I do like the bullet hell games, which are really difficult. Yep, and. Like Sega Rally and that, they're not hard, but it's just a lot of fun, and it's just something you can turn on for ten minutes, have a couple of laps, and turn it off, and don't have to think about much. Yeah, that's where I'm at with games right now too. I just don't have time to sit down for two or three hour gameplay sessions anymore, unfortunately. So I, I found myself picking up games that I can kind of, you know, play for a little while, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes, and then get back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, I mean, you sort of say that, but I mean, I mean, I'm nearly 35 now, and the last time I put, you know, that I could actually sit down and put loads of time in, was maybe when I was about 22, 23. <laughs> well, then you didn't get the MMO bug. A lot of people did, and you know, the MMOs were just a total time sink. So bad, you know, waiting for everybody to get together waiting on a raid, going into a raid. I just, I didn't have time. I, I tried it for a while, maybe for six months or so, and, and then I just couldn't, like, I couldn't sink the time into games like that anymore. Not saying maybe you did have the MMO bug, I don't know. No, no, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've never really been a PC gamer. You're a console guy. All right. Yeah. Got it. So, I'm... Um, when I look at games that sort of do the, the is it the Wazad sort of keyboard controls and mouse, and I'm just no idea what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, even now I play with an Xbox controller. You know, most of the games I play are, you know, um, controller capable. Stellar Tactics likely won't be ever, just because of the nature of, you know, the strategy combat. Um yeah, I was I was going to ask that, but when I looked at the the sort of like the teaser trailer, it did look as though it was like mouse controlled in the 3D space sort of bit where you actually grab and rotate around sort of thing. 
Yeah, and I think I think um, I think so. With that control, like Homeworld, exactly. Yeah, and and my thought right now. I loved that as well. I love that game. Yeah, that was good. Good stuff. Homeworld, Homeworld two. Um, I I don't want to I don't want to count it out though because I think, and I'm it is something that's in the back of my mind right now. It's not at the very top of my priority list, but I'd hate to see this game not playable with a controller. I think that I want to I want to keep my you know my options open um, and start looking at some of the uh, strategy games on consoles and see how they dealt with some of the issues related to it. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that you can target various body parts in Stellar Tactics, and um, I'd have to come up with a means to do that um, with the controller where you're not trying to get a cursor. Uh, sort of positioned over a body part like you would with a mouse. So, for example, if you want to tar- target the legs to cripple uh, an enemy so that their movement speed is decreased, which is actually there's an increase in AP usage when a character moves from a one location to another when their legs are crippled. Um, if I was using a controller, I'd need a means to um, allow that to happen a little bit easier. Uh, on a controller. Well, I mean, y- you could sort of maybe devise something like the VATS sort of system where exactly. you select to attack yeah, so we- and then it stop and then you could actually go- move up and down to aim where you want it to sort of attack. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a great idea. It's, it's definitely a good one. So you'd basically select your target and then, uh, you know, uh, you would press uh, the Y key or, or one of those keys to pull up um, a VATS-like menu that you can select the body part from that you're targeting. So that that's definitely a solution. I've played a lot of uh, Fallout 3 and 4. Um, so that that's a possibility. The other thing is just general movement. I'd want to look at um, you know XCOM and some other games and find out um, what are the things that you get to do in Stellar Tactics is preview when you're in combat um, how far you're allowed to move with the current amount of uh, action points that you have available, and so I'd need a means to do that also um, by being allowing the user with you know the stick to uh, sort of highlight their target uh, movement location and uh, giving them a preview to do that. So, but I I think it's something I I really want to do. So what I what I need to do though is is put it a little bit on the back burner right now to get some of these other things taken care of. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, I want controller support. Because <laughs> when, if you were to implement the controller support and you actually got it right, like, I feel Rebel Galaxy just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It just felt so well on the pad. Yeah, very tight. Very good. I mean, I've not never even tried to do it without the control pad. I've just, it just played so well with that, you know. But I think I've taken up much longer of your time than we arranged. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. I always I, I can just go on and on when I'm talking about games. So believe me, it's so much better talking to someone like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to name any names, okay. but I was talking to someone a few months ago, and it was a, a someone that had just released a novel. Oh, so it's a totally and, different genre of, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, so tell me about the book. And literally a sentence in and then she stopped. It's like, I've, I've got another half now. What am I going to do? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, like I said, you know, I've, I've been in the games business for a long time. And I, I just really love talking about it. It's a passion. Stellar Tactics is my baby. Um, you know, we're crossing our finger, fingers right now for the green light. It's looking good so far, but I can use as much help as I can get right now. And, um, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you just want to tell people how to find the green light page or go onto the website or tweets, anything like that, if you want to just mention all them. Sure. Um, so you can, you can actually link to my green light page from uh, www.stellartactics.com. Uh, there's a big link up in the top under uh, underneath the video that you'll see at the top of the page. That'll link you directly in. 
Or in Steam itself, you can just go to uh, you know the search and search for it in the green light area, Stellar Tactics. And then I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, so at Stellar Tactics. And uh, Facebook, just do a search for Stellar Tactics, it'll pop up. All those places have links right now to the uh, green light. And uh, anybody, uh, I'd, I'd like to thank anybody in advance for a yes vote. That would really help us uh, get this get this on Steam, which is a big, big deal for us right now. So, And I appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show. It's not a problem. It's an absolute pleasure. All right. Well, anytime you want to talk about Stellar Tactics, I'm here. So let me know. And hopefully in, let's say, six months' time, we can have another chat when you'll have more firm details like release dates and price and things like that. That sounds good. Yep. Yeah, just just uh, let me know. It's not a problem. So thank you, Don. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say, I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And I was wondering, if you think we're great, if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. O-U-G Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better.